0: wake up wake up it's time to get in the zone zone the race rat podcast talks about everything and with anyone to help you grow your brand and business here's your host evan shepard hello everyone and i want to welcome you back to another episode of the race rat podcast and in this podcast episode we're going to be talking about the fed better known as the federal reserve or the central banking system in the united states of america we're going to be talking about their impact on the financial markets and we're basically going to be talking about financial markets financial theory how they play a role into those financial markets and how better understanding their role in their function can actually allow you to be a better investor, a better trader, whatever your feng shui is in the markets, um, how you can use some of this information and some of this philosophy, I guess, cause it's not proven fact. It's just a philosophy that I've sort of subscribed to from, uh, some of the greats and some of the things that I've been able to see firsthand in my own experience in financial markets and why I necessarily believe, um, this theory um, and not the one that is traditionally taught in university and by most people who are investors and this is important because obviously at some point in everybody's life they have to be an investor they have to take care of their financial future they have to invest in a business they have to find a way to compound money in a manner that is going to take care of them later on in their life and hopefully take care of people and their family later on in their lives as well. But before we get into this episode, I just wanted to remind you if you're new to the podcast, I want to welcome you. On this podcast, we basically talk about how you can leverage your money into creating more social and financial freedom. We basically teach the importance behind financial education, especially to young adults and getting started early, and how you can use some of the information that I've experienced in my own life and the experience that some of my guests have had in their lives and be able to use that to your advantage to build your own successful financial future so if you have the time i would really appreciate if you left a five star review it does really help us rank on the podcast and then if you have even more time which i would greatly appreciate go ahead and leave a review about your favorite episode a great point that was made or something that you really just took a lot of interest in um, and leave that review along the uh, five stars Uh, those are what really helps our podcast grow and helps rank into uh, many of the different countries that we have been ranking in. We are now up to 14 countries in which we have ranked in the top 50 in the entrepreneurship category, which is crazy because like two months ago, it was like five or six. Literally a month ago, it was like 10 countries. So the growth has been incredible. And it's just been really cool to see. And I really appreciate all of you that tune in and leave those reviews. So getting right into this. We're going to start off with a little bit talking about theory um, and how this sort of plays a role in the functions that the Federal Reserve will have in the financial markets of our world. So basically, the first theory that almost every single person is told, whether they're at university, whether they're learning about markets on YouTube or whatever it might be, is something called the efficient market theory. And basically, what the efficient market theory says is that prices reflect accurately current information in those markets so what does that mean that means if you see the value of a currency the value of a stock the value of a commodity like soybeans or coffee futures or whatever there might be that those prices are an accurate information based on the value and the supply and demand of a company or commodity so if you see Tesla stock going up um, sevenfold from a year ago, essentially that idea means that Tesla is seven times more valuable of a company than it was a year ago. If you see the price of Apple stock has doubled in the past couple of years, that means the Apple stock and Apple as a company has doubled in value in that time frame. Or coffee, f- or coffee or soybean futures, meaning that the prices of those commodities are going up because uh, there is less supply and more demand, and that prices are the tool and the mechanism that act- accurately reflect the value. And the reason I don't subscribe to that theory is because markets and prices are not an accurate reflection of the underlying value of something. They are honestly usually distorted in a manner um, that is reflective of a boom or a bust cycle. Um, Tesla as a company, Elon Musk as an innovator, has not grown seven times in value over the course of a year, but yet the stock price has. Is that an accurate reflection of reality? Chances are the answer is absolutely not. Um, So that's why I don't subscribe to that idea of the efficient market theory, because it's all it basically says the market is always actively reflecting reality and that reality is where equilibrium in those markets can be found. But if you see prices and things that are not an accurate reflection of the value of a company, the value of a commodity, supply and demand, then you can't accurately subscribe to the idea that markets are efficient, because if they were efficient, then they would accurately reflect prices. So really what's going on? um, Financial markets actively affect the fundamentals that they are supposed to reflect. And I know that gets a little complicated for a second, but basically, when, we look, when you look at the value of a company right, or a stock, um, what most people say, and you'll hear this, especially the people that are bearish on the market and they're all upset about the Federal Reserve intervention, what they'll tell you is fundamentals don't even matter. That's a very common argument between people that are bullish and bearish in the stock market. The people that are bearish in the stock market right now are upset about the Federal Reserve intervention because they subscribe to the idea of the efficient market theory, set that says prices reflect accurate info. They see businesses that are, you know, uh, not doing so well, closing down, and they see these high elevated prices. And it disrupts their theory of thinking that markets are efficient because the prices don't accurately reflect information. So they are upset about it, obviously. Um, What they fail to understand is the other side of the equation that basically says that the markets actually can affect the fundamentals of a company uh, that they're supposed to reflect. So obviously, Tesla being one of them, Tesla is Tesla. Has it grown seven times the amount that it has over the course of a year since its stock price surged? No. But can the elevated stock price of Tesla actually affect the company, affect its funding, affect its ability to impact more people, affect its marketing, and intrigue more people to get involved in their company? Absolutely. Tesla's name being all over the news, the stock price surging, everything is a giant marketing component for the company truthfully tesla this tesla that tesla stock soars it is establishing essentially through the fundamentals of the mark of the financial markets value and trust in the company of tesla so to say that prices don't impact the actual value of a company is ludicrous they absolutely do to what extent is not necessarily something we can define but to say that the price and value of tesla stock soaring doesn't actually impact the company, the things that it does, um, the marketing decisions that it makes, uh, the production demands su- supply and demand. Um, if more people are willing and able to purchase Tesla, the value of the Tesla stock and ownership of the company at higher prices, then essentially it gives Tesla information about its consumers. It gives Tesla information about people that are interested in the company. And essentially it affects the underlying decisions that they make as far as a company. Um so really what what it's doing is financial markets can alter the fundamentals of a company and um it sort of brings correspondence between the prices and the underlying fundamentals. Um and basically uh what you'll see um is this idea it's basically a, a giant feedback loop. Um when we when we talk about fundamentals and we talk about uh prices of a company. Um number one of which, uh, being negative feedback. So negative feedback being news or some event that happens that impacts a company, um, is always going to have an effect that takes that distorted view of a company and seek and seek equilibrium. So, um, let's say, uh, Tesla earnings come out, right? And every and everybody sees the stock has went sevenfold in the last year, but yet their earnings come out and they are less profitable than they were 2 years ago. That is negative feedback, right? So what is the, what is the result? Well, technically the negative feedback is going to basically snowball among the people that are invested in Tesla. So what you might see is a large institutional ownership like Vanguard Group, you might see them start selling shares. What's going to happen because of that? The price of the and the value of the stock is going to go down. What's what's going to happen there? You're going to see more institutional selling depending on ownership that's going to drive the price further down. What's going to happen there? The the retail traders, the everyday Joes like you and I are going to see the price of Tesla continuing to go down and think, oh, should we sell? Should we sell? Should, should we sell? And then you basically see those events where you see stocks start to sell off, right? And that is actually... As we say, that is price and um, financial markets actually affecting the fundamentals of a company. It's You see people that are invested in these companies because of the prices that are actually starting to devalue the company, that are starting to lose trust in the company, and because of their earnings, it changes the fundamentals and the direction of the company. Um, this is a very dynamic relationship that corresponds with one another. Uh, another one obviously that's a negative feedback um and and that can be said um that can be said for when um things are distorted in a different manner right if somebody's in a short position and they think that uh let's say zoom right they think zoom was an overvalued stock like I did at hundred and fifty dollars back in April because it went up double because everybody figured out that zoom was gonna be the platform that everybody um was going to use for the university and their distance learning and they think it's overvalued and uh, they go short and they find out the earnings on zoom have way beat expectations the amount of signups the amount of people that are involved in the company now um, and that the equilibrium um, of the company is actually higher and that zoom was an undervalued company so that could actually be some sort of negative feedback depending on what side of the equation you're on Uh, The second is going to be positive feedback, and this is going to be really the more common one. Um, So this is something that produces uh, somewhat of a dynamic equilibrium. Uh, So basically, when you get positive feedback for a company, right, something good that's happening, the company's growing, they increase profit margins, they grew revenue, they beat the expectations. This is usually what causes a big move in prices, but also causes big moves in fundamentals. Why? Why? because the fundamentals of the company are changing right you see that they're doing good they're making more money they're increasing their dividends um they're increasing their profit margins whatever and because the fundamentals change the price and the value of the company is going to change as well um and the same goes the other way around um you know if the price of a company. continues to soar you have more investors you have more people that are interested and trust the company that can obviously change the fundamentals of a company as well um and so when you think about efficiency and markets and you think about feedback avenues um it basically leads you down this path of understanding bubbles uh so you'll hear this term tossed a lot tossed around a lot when it comes to the nasdaq and um we are in a tech bubble again and all this sort of stuff um, but basically, there's two components to a bubble in a market, which is basically a distortion from reality that is pretty large. Um, and that's uh, the underlying trend um, continues against reality and that there's a misconception relating to the trend. So essentially what this means is that um, a bubble would be when the value of a company, the price or whatever, continues to surge against the um, Company closing down stores, company losing revenue, company losing profits, or whatever. And also at the same time, uh, a bubble can be said when there's misconceptions about relating to the trend, right? Um, oh, this thing's going to go up forever. Oh, this thing's uh, never going to come down. Um, the trend is up. You know, misconceptions people that might have about the underlying trend of a company and therefore its price. And those boom and bust cycles really occur. When the trend and the misconception of those companies reinforce each other, right? So you can't really have one or the other, right? The trend of a company is up and the misconception about the company is also up. But the reality is, is that the company is doing worse, right? So when people believe that a company is getting stronger, when people believe that the trend of a stock is going up, but the reality is that a company is actually um, doing worse that is where a bubble is created, right? It's You can't have people uh, that think a company is going to do worse, but yet every day uh, or every quarter they increase their revenues and profits. That's not a bubble. A bubble can only be existent when the trend of a price and the misconception about a price are the same, right? So some people might argue right now, the trend of the NASDAQ is pretty parabolically up and that there's a misconception that it will continue to go up in a manner. Um, because the businesses reflect growth Um, and this is where i think people that are bearish on the stock market or whatever right now are wrong right they they complain oh the prices are too high the prices are too elevated the fundamentals don't matter but you look at some of the earnings results and moves of some of these larger tech corporations such as microsoft where they are closing down their physical stores because there's their online business is booming you see um, apple is, uh, you know, continuously launching products and making billions of dollars on every single product that they launch. Um, basically online, uh, you see the next Netflix subscriber data has, uh, has basically just been increasing, you know, 50% a year for the past few years. Um, and they think there's a bubble because the prices are high, but they're not necessarily analyzing the actual value of a company. And, um, basically, um, these bubbles are tested by negative feedback that doesn't you know if negative feedback comes in like the other week where tesla or sorry netflix earnings were less um then this can basically that negative feedback can impact the value of a company um but it's not until you get a huge negative feedback that you see a bubble burst or anything like that um you can get tested by negative feedback there can be short-term results but then basically um If the negative feedback isn't strong enough, then the trend of the underlying asset is going to continue in that direction. So can market expectations, they eventually become far removed from reality in a bubble that people are forced to recognize that misconception is involved. And when this happens, usually you have doubts that are growing, people lose faith, and the trend is basically sustained because of inertia, meaning that the strength and the force of the trend um, starts going against, um, you know, the, the coincide of the boom cycle, which was basically that you had, um, people that the misconception and the trend are both correlated with each other. When you have that difference, um, where people are losing faith, doubt grows, uh, and the trend is continues to go in the direction of the conception of it is when, um, the trend usually will eventually reverse and it becomes, um, basically self-reinforcing in the opposite direction. Um, Example of this would be the 1960s. Um, There was a trend that represented an increase in earnings per share for most companies. Um, And, you know, especially you think Warren Buffett, Coca-Cola and everything. And the expectations relating to that trend are reflected in the prices, right? Those prices continue to go up because the expectation and the trend are both along the positivity that earnings per share continue to grow. And so, you know, these companies keep increasing their earnings per share by acquiring other companies, um, and this creates basically inflated expectations um, that allow them to improve their earnings performance, right? They keep acquiring more companies, their earnings per share is growing, and people just think, okay, this company is just going to continue to grow its earnings per share forever. Uh, And then eventually, these expectations reach a point that are so elevated from reality that they just couldn't keep up with expectations and eventually problems arise and surfaced uh, on earnings, right? The companies start losing their earnings. There's still these huge expectations. And basically there was a collapse um, of that sort of ideology. Um, so basically when it comes to, you know, a bubble in the market, uh, there's, there's really four stages. You have the inception of a bubble, uh, something, something that initiated a disconnect between, um, The actual fundamentals and the price of the company um and the uh trend and misconception of a company there's there's a difference between the two the trend and the misconception are up and the um the actual values of and uh business behind the asset is actually going down um So you have this inception and then you have this acceleration where the trend reinforces the price, right? So people think the stock, think of Amazon, Tesla, Zoom, Shopify, whatever, uh, Chipotle, all these major companies that are doing big numbers in the market right now. There's an acceleration where the trend reinforces the price. The trend is so strong that it reinforces the strength of the price continuing to go up. And eventually you reach a point where there's basically a reversal, where you have those people that start to doubt, lose faith, and... Um, start going against the inertia of the trend, and then you get acceleration in the opposite direction, which is basically how a bubble collapses. Um, and basically, the the burst uh, or the bust of a, uh, of a boom and bust, or sorry, the boom cycle uh, is basically, obviously, that gradual acceleration, right? So you see um, a, a, a common uh, expression is uh, stairs up, elevator down. Um, meaning that, you know, it's a gradual acceleration of asset prices and it's more sustained. And then there is a huge acceleration in the bus cycle that is very short and steep where people are forced to liquidate because uh, they recognize that the reality and their perception about a certain asset is false and they start to panic and sell. And that's usually what we call capitulation. Uh, the problem with this is that there's no way to really determine the length of these cycles. And these cycles could play out for long periods of time, um, if also met with government intervention. You think of the financial crisis in 1982, there was another financial crisis in the late 70s, and, or sorry, the late 1997, late 1990, uh, 1998, um, and eventually basically government intervention patched um, those, those financial crises um, within a short period of time, but eventually you reached a point in 2008 where there had been so much deregulation that uh, it was basically a super bubble that was just waiting to burst for 30 years. Um, so people that think that the stock market is going to burst and that there's going to be this huge financial collapse uh, could be very well wrong for 30 years. Um, and another example I could give is just real estate, right? Um, think of you know this this uh, this 2008 right credit became cheaper. Um, it was more easily available. There were more transactions happening. And as a result, real estate values rose. Um, and you saw this big influx in, um, the value of homes and a big influx in the amount of people that are purchasing homes, given that they were incredibly deregulated and you had people with making $30,000 a year buying $800,000 a year houses, uh, because the credit was so widely available. And, um, you know, as when you get this credit expansion, uh, initially you have, you know, less default credit performance and crews, and then you uh, the le- lending standards are uh, relaxed, right? You don't have to qualify as heavily because uh, credit is expanding and it's doing well. And the height of the boom uh, is where credit is basically uh, was involved at its maximum, where there was the maximum amount of credit available. Uh, the reversal came when people were forced to sell their homes right they start losing their jobs Um, they can't afford to pay their mortgages uh, because of you know they bought way too much house or whatever and you get this forced selling right almost a liquidation and as a result uh, this is going to drive other people's prices down and it's just one big capitulation event to where prices get lowered Um, and basically uh, what you'll see when bubbles form is a huge rush to buy um, you know, and it just basically adds fuel to the fire. You have uh, almost a FOMO when it comes to buying houses or buying stocks or whatever. Um, and these people aren't irrational; they they're rational. They're totally able and willing to recognize what they want with their purchases. Um, uh, but basically, um, you know, you think of Alan Greenspan in 1996 when he's talking about irrational exuberance. I you know I would entirely disagree with that because everybody knew. Uh, what was going on and you know markets are irrational or whatever you want to talk about um it's it's rational because um markets aren't efficient uh in the manner that they're naturally efficient um they're almost artificially efficient in today's day and age and we're going to get moving on to that soon um but basically i i don't agree with like what alan greenspan was saying about how markets uh, and irrational, or sorry, not irrational, um, irrational exuberance um, is is just incorrect because um, it's it falls on the idea that markets are efficient and they are self-correcting. Um, but I can't subscribe to that theory, knowing that um, basically in the last financial crises for the last three to four years it wasn't the markets that corrected themselves and saved the the problem in fact the market continued to harm itself until government intervention was really involved um so basically um moving on to more about um you know market fundamentals and um how necessarily markets function um they don't necessarily move to a point of equilibrium Uh, There are periods, especially in financial crises, that um, basically involve government intervention and regulation to reform uh, markets like the central bank and the Federal Reserve and um, the regulation involved. And usually in every single financial crisis, you will see higher regulation, higher reform. And as a result, stricter restrictions on, you know, banks and all of those companies that usually get us in trouble when it comes to financial markets. Um, and it really becomes a battle between the, um, the authorities, you know, the central banks and everything like that, and the reactions of the financial market and how um, the reactions within the financial markets from monetary and fiscal policy um, is a good feedback loop for those regulators, right? In 2008, we saw that a financial bazooka and a bail, huge bailout um, for most of these financial companies allowed the market to recover fourfold from the bottom and two, two and a half fold from the top. Meaning, if you had bought at the bottom of the market, you had basically returned uh, close to four or five times the amount that you had then. And if you had bought at the very top of that bu- of that boom cycle, then your returns would be two to three times what they were if you had bought the very top. So what does it show you? It showed you that in good feedback, financial and mon- uh, fiscal and monetary stimulus by the central bank and the Federal Reserve actually benefited and artificially saved the market because the market was not efficient enough to correct itself, if that makes sense. Um, so those reactions to the market are really useful as feedback to those um financial regulators. Um and basically, um, you know, as long as that positive feedback keeps uh keeps up with the expectations and fundamentals, um, it can cause substantial deviation from equilibrium, right? Um, so a lot of people right now, um you know, are, like I mentioned, upset with the Federal Reserve over the monetary and fiscal bazooka that they just launched at the bottom of the March lows in the uh, stock market and credit markets. Um, and just huge amounts of printing money in order to do so. Um, you know, this can cause a big deviation from the actual underlying value of the market. But at the same time, as we both know, most people would call it a bubble right oh the prices are too high but these companies you know the values of these companies are are lowering and their earnings are worse and everything and they're correct that there is a deviation in that but they fail to recognize that the actual price confidence trend and inertia of actually these um trends in the financial markets can actually impact the well-being of these companies um why well, let's think about it. Most people can be invested in stocks, and if they feel confident that their 401k and their retirements are better enabled, then it might incentivize them to continue to consume and spend money on things. Or stimulus checks. Why do we call them stimulus checks? Because they stimulate the economy. It's $1,200 free from the government, and everybody knows that if you are an American, and chances are you're probably going to spend a lot of money on things that you don't need because we are a consumer and economy. And basically by, um, you know, people feeling more positive about trend and the feedback from central banks and the Federal Reserve, it might incentivize them to actually spend more money at those companies that are doing well and actually change the fundamentals of those companies themselves. Um, But usually when you see this huge market crashes, it's during periods of large uncertainty. We think of 2008. Um, the big capitulation event was the crashing of Lehman Brothers and their bankruptcy. Um, we think of back in February, it was the uncertainty relying, uh, or sorry, surrounding upon the coronavirus. And um, when that happens, you have less people that are willing able, willing and able to buy. And um, as a result, you get less people, less liquidity, less people willing to buy. And... Um, there's usually when there's less liquidity it creates large market fluctuations to where you might get those deviations back towards uh equilibrium especially since uncertainty is a negative feedback um and when uncertainty is reduced it almost leads automatically to an automatic rebound and that's exactly what we've seen in 2008 and that's exactly what we saw in uh back in march and april um is when people hear that the federal reserve and is calming the uncertainty by bailing out these major companies sending everybody stimulus checks uh purchasing debt um via treasury bonds or stocks um then reducing that uncertainty basically instills confidence Into the price and the purchasing of assets and later will instill confidence into people feeling more secure to spend their money and change the fundamentals of those companies and a common misconception is that you know these markets are self-correcting right um but like i mentioned in the two major crashes that have occurred in the last century the only thing that solved those market crashes was government intervention um, that saved eventually the financial system. The financial system was inefficient. It broke down. It did not work. And it wasn't until the government got involved with monetary and fiscal stimulus that the economy was able to actually grow and recover out of it. Um, so during this, you know, the past two financial crises, you've seen the authorities intervene. They supported these failing institutions and applied more monetary and fiscal pro- uh, policy to protect the economy. And I think that's actually, uh, y- even though. They have made some mistakes. I think they've actually done a pretty fantastic job um, as a result of it because they, by printing money, which, you know, obviously a lot of people are against with money supply and everything, um, they've actually saved the economy um, by actually stimulating it again and getting people to confidently spend and interact with these companies like they weren't doing before. Um, And without that government intervention, who knows where we would have been who knows what would have gotten the economy, economy stimulated and that the market wasn't really able to correct itself and in a matter of time, they got feedback from previous market um, collapses and uncertainty that actually monetary and fiscal stimulus to support these companies that are not doing as well and supporting the people who might be not, uh, not working as much as a result of this company not doing well um, is actually a great way to um, fix the economy. Because we look back on 2008, and it was literally a 25-year bubble of expanding credit, deregulation. And when the expansion halted and regulation was not there, it basically uh, dominoed all the other credit markets uh, and basically any other monetary or fiscal p- uh, market in the entire world. And the turning point was really you know, that negative feedback that broke the camel's back was the subprime collapse in 2007, the mortgages. Um, and then the climax of that event where it had reached its lowest point was really when Lehman Brothers collapsed and you got the huge uh, capitulation event. Um, but the reason I wanted to, you know, do this episode today is because a lot of people have negative feedback when it comes to the Federal Reserve when in reality, I think they've actually done a lot to support the financial markets in a good manner. The only problem is, is that if these regulators and authorities successfully intervene, um, it can create a bubble itself, um, and prolong one um, until the fundamentals are tested once again and their game plan is met with enough negative feedback so that it doesn't work, um, in which case they're going to have to come up with different policy. Um, but almost one of the most important things that is coming out of the Federal Reserve is that the money supply is increasing. They're, they're using, um, they're purchasing an insane amount of government debts and equities And uh, basically things to try to stimulate business in the economy again the problem that they have is that eventually they need to lower their balance sheet they need to um you know support the economy enough and for long enough so that it is able to recover um basically give it like floaties so that it's able um to eventually um be able to properly function again in the manner of going and spending um but eventually they have to lower their balance sheet and they have to Um, reduce the effects of their short-term stimulus over time otherwise it's going to cause some some issues if they forget about it or they never address it Uh, which is scary for us younger people knowing that our government is close to 30 uh, sorry 30 trillion in debt now and that just continues to basically nobody's adjusting it it's probably going to be a scary future later down the line i don't know when it's going to be but yeah it's it definitely leads to some uncertainty but i wanted to talk today about, you know, the financial markets, because I feel like a lot of people subscribe to the idea that markets are efficient. Um, and, you know, sometimes that suggests that somebody might argue that in 1929, uh, you know, the economy collapsed, and there was this huge depression, and that eventually it recovered. That's true, but it didn't recover for, you know, 10, 10 years. And when you see those huge surges in unemployment, and the economy's not doing well, it actually has a drastic effect on um on the livelihood of people uh every one percent that unemployment increases you can basically ensure that 30 to forty thousand people will die um so you'll see all those people on social media that are like oh everybody's like oh the economy what about the people right you'll hear that from a lot of those marxist uh, socialist people um who i highly disagree with but the truth of the matter is that the government is so focused on the economy because the economy is the underlying force behind driving The health and the livelihood of the people in America. It's not necessarily about people in America making money, but they need to have jobs and they need to these companies need to be supported um, during times of financial crises. Otherwise, it will be a direct result in the people of America dying and not being able to um, you know, support themselves because they don't have work and they they get caught up with addictions or they commit suicide or all these incredible effects that are a result of people losing their jobs and not being able to st- sustain their livelihoods because their businesses and their corporations aren't able to provide for them anymore. Um, so I hope this episode was interesting. I feel like it was really, really in-depth and I apologize if I wasn't able to simplify it enough. It's really a complex subject, but if you can subscribe to the idea that markets really aren't efficient and that they're often the reality of markets are often distorted, uh, whether up or down. Um, and usually you'll see at some point every, there's always a boom and a bust cycle and there's always a reversion at some point, um, from a boom to a huge bust and then back to, um, close to equilibrium and then get distorted again in one direction or the other. Usually the distortion is up because, um, you know, throughout history, the American stock market and the economy has just continued to grow. Um, so usually, you'll get those corrections, 50 percent, every you know, five to ten years. Um, and usually, we have seen at least in the uh, past couple decades that the quickest way to fix that interve- intervention and actually stimulate the economy because it is inefficient and isn't able to correct itself. Uh, properly is to actually use monetary and fiscal stimulus through the central banks. Um, So we'll see what happens. I mean, uh, there's a lot of speculation between it being good. I'm somebody that subscribes to the idea that I think it's actually a good idea. I think it um, supports uh, people that are not doing too well, that might have lost their jobs, that are worried about the retirement. I think uh, instilling confidence uh, via the prices recovering in the market actually changes the fundamentals and encourages people to go out and spend and and live their lives like they used to um ultimately it becomes it comes down to people being able to uh to be able to return back to their normal lives i guess and um you know i think going into a depression for five to ten years because the system didn't work um is not the best policy to coincide with At the same time, there are risks As you print that much money, you're obviously going to either prolong a bubble, prolong a financial collapse, or prolong a different negative feedback loop that will eventually magnify the effects of a financial crisis like we saw in 2008 so i hope this episode was interesting for you if it was make sure you subscribe to the podcast make sure you also follow me on social media on instagram at the race fat podcast that way you can see some of my other educational posts and everything like that and i just wanted to say before we conclude this episode this is really my own theory uh this is not something that is proven or something that you'll hear in um you know in your university this is sort of an idea that i guess i've Subscribe to myself and my belief and my understanding behind financial markets, and how this can help stimulate the economy. This can help stimulate, um, and by stimulating the economy, you also stimulate the businesses that are involved and continue to allow investors to be able to be uh, make good investments and continue to compound their money over time. And how you can really use understanding these this government intervention and this uh, evaporating the, these thoughts of uncertainty. Um, by really using that to your favor when it comes to uh, purchasing, uh, you know, your own indexes or your own individual stocks. Um, I had been talking with a friend of mine back in March about Apple stock. And I ended up, uh, you know, we were talking about, uh, you know, how the market was going down and how it could go down another 30 percent or something like that and i had recognized that apple stock had basically dropped 25 to 30 percent of where it was i thought it was a very valuable company and i thought it was underpriced so i bought it at about 265 dollars, and now it's up to 385 within the course of like four months um it's just one of those things that when you're able to assess reality which is basically equilibrium understand a distortion from reality right i thought Apple stock had sold off too much at 265 and that it became undervalued and that there was too much fear and uncertainty in the actual market. Um, So in that manner, I decided to buy on it because I thought, you know, eventually it's going to recover. There's probably going to be some intervention with the stimulus or something, and that eventually the company is going to be worth more than it is on the book value or the price that I am seeing on that I'm being seen on my screen. So anyways, uh, I know this was a long episode. Apologize about that. I wish I cut it a little 10 minutes shorter. But anyways, I want to thank you all so much for listening, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to another kick-ass episode of the Race Rad Podcast. Make sure to leave an awesome review and follow us on social media if you enjoyed. Now get off your phone, because it's time to work.